0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrea Matišak, and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it is not Russian Pravda. It's one year from the beginning of the Russian large-scale invasion of Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin thinks he can bully Ukrainians, but he only makes us angrier. This is what Yulia Mendel said to me in our podcast debate. She is the former press secretary of President of Ukraine Vladimir Zelensky from June 2019 until July 2021, author of the book The Fight of Our Lives and opinion contributor for The Washington Post. And she also has a clear message for Moscow: Russia has to withdraw, beg for forgiveness, and pay for the crimes. Perhaps then it can survive. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate, Yulia, Let me start with the question of how happened that in two thousand nineteen you were appointed to be the press secretary of President Volodymyr Zelensky.
1: Okay, so let me say when Zelensky came to power, he was like really super popular, like a rock star. I'm not kidding. And everybody wanted to work for him. He became the first president to announce open competitions for top political positions, different positions. The same he did with press secretary, the position of his press secretary. He announced it via Facebook. And I thought, come on, like thousands of people would like to work for Zelensky. Like, why, why to apply, right? Like, w- what my chance is? And... It happened that all colleagues of mine were saying, "Just try, you know, he will need such people as you, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And that motivated me. And at some point, without any hope for a chance, I just sent my CV. And it happened; he hired HR company, so they called me, and then I had several levels of competitions. And then Saturday, the end of May, I'm invited for the interview with the president, Zelensky. Already, I had not even told this my parents and i'm coming to the office of the president thinking look Yulia, it's already a big thing for your memoir if uh, even you don't get this job the president of ukraine invited you on saturday he came to the office on saturday to interview you so there were top five candidates i know some of them i don't know all of them we did not see each other and uh, there were around eight people of his team and he himself and they were all interviewing me as if they were media sharks, and as if I already was uh, a press secretary, and uh, you know, a lot of questions about scandals, politics, economy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then President Zelensky asked me—I think the most important question—he asked me my motivation.
0: What was your answer?
1: Yeah, I said something like he. A person from a poor background, from some region of Ukraine, in a democratic way, could become a president of the country. And me, a journalist from another region, from also a poor family, in a transparent way, could become his press secretary. What is this if not a Ukrainian dream when everyone can achieve everything he or she wants? And I think then he understood that we share the same vision of Ukraine. And yeah, I was hired and worked with him for a 25 uh, months. I learned that uh, when I came to the office, I learned that there were around 4,000 of applicants. (laughs) So that's the biggest competition in my life.
0: (laughs) What is President Zelensky like as the boss? What does he not tolerate? And was there something you suggested that he should change, especially in terms of communication? And he did it.
1: Well, yes, I'm uh, telling the situations, uh, and I'm telling about him in details in my book, "The Fight of Our Lives." But definitely, at the very beginning, there were a lot of challenges for me. Let me say that Volodymyr Zelensky in summer 2019 and Volodymyr Zelensky in summer 2020 are just different people. First, that I understood that his image of a comedian made people to underestimate him hugely. That in life he is a very serious person. He does not. A joke, you know, everywhere around uh, he uses humor more to you know mitigate sharp angles in diplomacy, maybe to push for some decision, maybe to make good political point to um, emphasize this point, but definitely he is not just a joker. second what I learned he was. Hugely demanding. He's um, a perfectionist by himself and he demands the same way of behavior and attitude from his team. It was a quite exciting, but a very exhausting time in my life because we used to sleep like for three, four hours first year. And, you know, then it was less or a little bit more, but still very exhausting. But uh, again, very exciting. And if you talk about his communications, yeah, uh, he was the one to shape it and to change it a lot. At the very beginning, there was different team with him in the office. And those were quite matured and quite uh, powerful and rich guys who were all thinking that they had priority to influence the president. And I was, you know, just some girl there and my voice was not that important.
0: Has it changed? Maybe gradually?
1: They all advised him that he should not talk to media. They advised him that, he didn't need media in the epoch, in the era of social media, that he too could talk to people without a mediator. They were very influential also for the reason that they helped him to pass this successful electoral campaign, and they actually helped him come to the presidency. And definitely I was a newcomer, and I understood it was a very post-Soviet, very maybe even Soviet position to some point. It was very old school position, which didn't work anymore. So I was fighting, but at some point for a few months, I was in a very difficult position when there were like hundreds and hundreds of media requests and I couldn't answer uh, any of them. And we couldn't answer. Like the press service had tight hands in general. And definitely there were a lot of requests for the interview, for comments, for explaining, and we could not do anything. Absolutely. Yeah. So the president first was like looking for their advice, but later, you know, step by step, was trying to explain we were fighting and uh, it happened that president made different choice like he understood that media was so crucially important that he needed to talk to them and there were several comments that i asked him to do and he saw that they were like good ones and that media was ethical and, and that it was more helpful than harmful. And there was one crucial interview that he provided to four media, uh, French, German, American and Polish. It was in fr- before his uh, meeting with Putin and it went around Europe very well. It was very well read in Europe and also in the United States. And he understood how important it is to use media, like to talk to media when media Media can actually spread the word for him and um, after that it was much much easier to convince him to talk to explain and definitely after the first head of the office of the president was uh, like let's say resigned, uh, <laughs> was pushed to resign. <laughs> we, we changed the communications policies and uh, we made a lot of progress and managed to build the system absolutely differently. And I'm very proud that Ben, at the very beginning, I was there with the Naviz Zelensky to help him shape the message, to help him understand what media is, because he never had this experience before. And I know he's preparing to the interviews uh, greatly all the time. He's, he was very attentive to the details. Who is he providing interview to? Why the interview needs to take place? Like, what is my message to the world or to the Ukrainian? people. So, you know, we just like changed his uh, attitude, uh, vice versa, 100%. So I'm, I'm I'm, happy to be, you know, the part of that change.
0: You mentioned your book, The Fight of Our Lives, and I know it's not just about the war, but your fiance joined the military and you're from Kherson, which was occupied by Russia. How do you deal with such a situation?
1: So look, uh, The Fight of Our Lives, it's not only about the war, because uh, it's more about... The democracy that is in war right now, and hopefully, you know, will not be at war soon but when i'm talking about the fight i mean this is the fight for the democracy and in the book you can find a lot of personal experience and political experience of my country how to fight against corruption how to fight for the change how to fight being a journalist how to fight being a woman like all the fights that also i think many slovakian people and many european and american females are passing through their lives But, um, yeah, my fiance, thanks God is back. I'm very happy about this. But that period when he was at the front line, it was, it was so, so psychologically difficult period, mentally difficult for me. It's, it's, it's just the period when you cannot stop checking your phone and there are different stages of your stress. Like first you send him message and it's not delivered, you know keep thinking and keep looking at your phone like every minute because every minute lasts like you know an eternity like why isn't it delivered okay there is no connection why and then it's delivered but he does not respond like he doesn't read it so okay why he doesn't read it and then you know he reads it but he doesn't respond so like did he read it or did anyone else read, read it? So like, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a terrible experience. And later his commander had a joke. I didn't tell this joke to anyone, but I was super angry at him.
0: What happened? If I may ask,
1: he said to Pablo that, um, there was a moment where, and they could not, at some point, they could not come back. They were shelled and they were trapped. And he said, well, I was thinking what I will tell Julia. And maybe I will tell that Pablo did not arrive. Like it was a joke, you know, it was a military joke. I'm like, I, I'm not sure for me at some point it can be a joke, you know, but it's just a harsh military joke between you know guys at, at the front line but the worst thing and the next stage of this stress is that even if you pass the stress you cannot complain for the reason that millions of females in ukraine passing the same and if my husband he is already a husband if he is back Hundreds of thousands of men are still there and some of them are going there right now, are mobilized right now and the offensive is there. And then I was not able to, there was no my word to say him no. Like I I, I could not say him no. I, I felt despair, pride, but I wanted him to be near me, but I didn't have this influence. And he was saying, that's my choice. You need to understand. And that's what I see right now in a year after war. Right now, I see couples where men say, we are mobilized to go like to the East before the offensive, and we're going there. And they are not looking for any excuses, though the the chance to be dead is huge. And they do this because they feel that there is no one else who can stand against Russian aggression, there will no be any other man who will step in in his boots and, you know, walk there. This is exactly what I've heard yesterday from our friend and she has two kids and her husband is sent to Donbas and she cannot convince him to stay at all. So we're collecting some money to, to help him to be prepared as much as possible. In a year, let me say, on one hand I'm more optimistic On another hand, the stress is so chronical, the level of my personal helplessness (laughs) is the same, that it's very difficult to explain what one feels or goes through, you know. But let me say, I'm very optimistic for the reason that a year ago, many countries in the world, they did not believe the war would be and if the war would be, they never thought that we would stay independent, that we would be able to fight back. So they were like underestimating us so much. Some countries were giving us few days, and it's a year. We are independent. We are sovereign. Kiev has the same number of people as before the war. We try to raise economy. The government works. You know, it's difficult. It's super difficult, but. It's like we are alive and we know we have future and we know we will fight back. We are proud of our identity. We see the unity of the West and we definitely know that we will never give up to Russia. The only thing that can undermine us, like it's not Russia, it's if to some point the unity of the civilized world will break.
0: At the beginning of the Russian scale invasion, President Zelensky said the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a right. Many people were surprised by his stand. And I admit, I also wasn't sure how he would react. What about you? You know him. Were you also surprised? Or not really? And why?
1: No, I said at the very beginning that I was more surprised that he got this invitation. Probably it should have been there for protocol, for, you know, human attitude. But after working with him for two years, I have never seen Zelensky running away from... Um, challenges running away from risk of war and especially it was seen when we were traveling to donbas he made it a priority we were traveling like every month there and uh, uh every time he was traveling to the front line like he traveled through hundreds of kilometers of demarcation line so the line between occupied territory of ukraine and uh controlled by the government of ukraine and in many times he was uh, at the point where there was shelling like for instance once we've been to the mm, position of our soldiers the president was going there to handshake with soldiers to give them awards to say hello they were happy to take selfies and it was 80 meters from the enemy position like russian or uh, russian mercenaries and then we were getting back so we walked uh, to our brony machine um, vehicles
0: armored vehicles and- yeah
1: Yes, armored vehicles, right. And uh so uh, it was like few hundred meters and the shelling started. And so he, uh, world, uh, argued with his security who wanted us to get into the vehicles. And he said, no, what leader am I if I'm leaving the soldiers when there is shelling? And he insisted and he went back. I have another example. It was like very, very visual example. There was a bridge that was built by the initiative of Zelensky uh, that needed to connect the occupied territory and Ukrainian controlled territory. And that was not only the bridge that people wanted hugely because thousands of people were crossing that part every day but also it was a very symbolic thing for him. He was like he wanted to unite those parts, right? And he brought one leader of another country there. And when they were when we were approaching, it's, it, it became clear that in another part of the bridge there were Russians, Russian cameras and Russians with guns. And uh, his security said, no the provocation is possible. Like, like why the cameras and the guns can like th- th- this is very dangerous and he was arguing like for half an hour i think with with their security and uh, in a very small group leaving all the delegation behind they still went to see the breach i don't know how much close but close much much closer you know like uh, uh, quite far from the delegation and he wanted to show russia he was not afraid it's very important and that he is a leader here seeing this at that moment actually all the delegation we could not breathe we were just like looking at this waiting for this and we were like oh my god what's going on right like what's gonna happen next and and then they were back and you know for him it was okay i've done my obligation let's continue our trip so seeing all this stuff you know you cannot believe that the person would leave the country I did not feel it in him. Later, talking to the office of the president, I learned that he was there first and he said, we are giving the fight. He shaped this identity of Ukrainians in many ways. I think Ukrainians have been victimized since 2014 and victim is a very losing position. We are not victims. Definitely, we are target for Russia but we are not victims. Look, we are fighters here. We've been fighting here like for 30 years, for 31 years for democracy when Russia was penetrating every sphere of our lives. We were at Maidan, you know, several times. Like like, what a victim are we? And he wanna. Out and he said to all people that we are fighters, we are united and we will stand against Russia, which at some point was like existential threat.
0: Yes, of course, because we didn't know what will happen after February twenty-four.
1: For you to understand a year ago, like on 24th, 25th, 26th of February, we didn't think what our future will look like, what our tomorrow will look like. We were thinking if tomorrow will come. That was the major point. So, yeah, he, he did an enormous job for shaping Ukrainian identity at the most crucial time and for Ukraine staying an independent country.
0: With President Zelensky, you had a chance to meet Russian President Vladimir Putin. Zelensky visits the front lines and Putin sits in the bunker. Seems <laughs> yeah. that, that, it seems that these two <laughs> men cannot be different. I know this is such a question and uh, Pre- Putin is not going to read or listen to our interview. But do you have any message for him? Or maybe you don't want to say anything to him.
1: I have no desire to talk about uh, Putin or Russia. I just want them not to exist in my life and in my country. But I'm not in the position to talk to Putin. But that's crucially important for him to understand that his only way to help Russia survive, at least survive, With all the pressure from the world, you know, sanctions limits is actually to withdraw, to beg for forgiveness and to pay for all the crimes he's done here. If there was the concept of this Russian world, he fully destroyed it and every his step is making the situation only worse he thinks he will bully us and we will at some point give up or get carried but it makes us angry and angry it makes angry not only military in trenches but it makes angry even moms with kids here i mean every ukrainian gets only angry and this means that every ukrainian will send to the very end until any russian is here in ukraine so yeah Three steps, withdraw, back for forgiveness, and pay for the crimes. And probably there will be the chance for Russia to survive.
0: Yes, let's hope that this will happen. And this also leads me to the last question. We said that your book is titled The Fight of Our Lives.
1: Yes, I want to write another book, The Victory of Our Lives.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the victory. Do you believe that this fight ends with victory? What will be the victory for you and for Ukraine?
1: Yeah, that, look, this is a very difficult question. And here I will turn into diplomat for the reason that uh, there is no one concept. What is victory for Ukrainians? Many people would say that the victor- we have already a victory for the reason that we stayed independent country and we have our government, our leader, and we rule in our country. But for many Ukrainians, for majority of Ukrainians, it's getting our territories back and our people back. Maybe if we talk about the level where we will be able to have the first stage of some ceasefire negotiations maybe it's somewhere in between so how i see the situation uh from my sources from western intelligence ukrainian government perspective it looks like we're gonna stand against this huge offensive and it's scary for me as a ukrainian for the reason of how many more people we will lose The second thing, there will be a counter-offensive. It's all going to happen this next spring because we're going to get more weapons, tanks, long-range missiles, ammunition. We are going to get as much territory as possible if we get Crimea and Donbass back, I personally will celebrate, you know, probably to the very end of my days. But we will try to get as much as possible. And I guess at that point, it will be clear that... Russia doesn't have much to fight with because Russia is losing so many people. Russia already is running out of missiles and ammunition, and it doesn't have what to produce from. And I think at that point, there will be the Chinese factor. Don't forget that China is very outraged about this war in many ways. And Xi Jinping is going to come to Moscow. We don't know when. So probably he will pressure Putin. And if the sanctions are doing as well as they are doing right now, will be doing as well as they are doing now, I guess at that point, Putin will start thinking about his 2024 elections. Because despite of the fact that we cannot get the real statistics from Russia, definitely people are suffering from poverty. They are losing beloved ones. They cannot travel. They cannot make business. They're running away from mobilization. They don't get any, you know, anything paid. They don't have uniform. They don't get anything to fight with. So there is an indignation there, and Putin will need to think about this. So I guess at some point this year there will be the stage when uh, he will ask for some level of negotiations. But uh, but before that, we will need to have counteroffensive and to try to get our lands back. So I wanted to say is for you to understand. People think that peace is, you know, it's something like 23rd of February, but it's different. Like what I saw and, uh, in Donbass and in uh, like Transnistria, Georgia and other ways, you know, there will not be peace as if there were no war. We don't know if there will be demarcation line or not, but definitely your, Russia will uh, can stop missile attacks o- over Ukraine, destroying our infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. But also, uh, it's pos- possible that there will be the Russian army near the border or the demarcation line and there sometimes will be shooting uh, and it's probably that a lot of Ukrainians will stay in Russia and the exchanges will be keeping going and also there will be the threat. So, all Ukrainians are prepared right now, together with the government, that Russia will try to recharge and in some years, again, attack Ukraine. So, that's why we are in such a hurry to get into the European Union because the European Union will make us stronger in economic way, institutional way. And definitely, you know, we will be able to keep our army strong. Uh, It will be more difficult for Russia to attack the European Union, especially if we are much stronger country in many ways. You see, this will be our homework to do in such a get uh, into the EU during such small open window of opportunity before they recharge and try to regain us again to renew their uh, empire.
0: This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.